0: Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you.
1: It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis.
0: Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together.
1: Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I, and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing, Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they're all the need to know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording. a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's context and clarity live conversation so thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the context and clarity live conversation to our own businesses in this episode we talked with Christian Giordano Christian is the president and a co-owner of Mancini Duffy, and he's also the host of the Anti-Architect Podcast. If you're not familiar with Mancini Duffy, they're a firm that's been in business for over 100 years and has with Christian and his partners at the helm, it's been reimagined and remade over the past several years. From my point of view, they're not only focused on doing great design work, as they would be, but they're rethinking both the future of their client's experience and what I would call the future of project delivery. So we talk with Christian about disruption in the profession, and we really dig into the technology and the processes that they use at Mancini Duffy, including their proprietary tool belt software and their design lab. And if you're wondering about the origin of the name of Christian's podcast, the anti-architect podcast, well, we get into that as well. Oh, and also Nerds, Ropes, and Bruce Springsteen. So be sure to listen in for those explanations. As usual, Catherine McPhail joined me for both the conversation with Christian Giordano and backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Christian Giordano, president and co owner of Mancini Duffy and host of the Anti Architect podcast. All right. What'd you think, Catherine?
2: Well, I know I was fangirling over him too, but honestly, I couldn't even believe, I was so nervous. I couldn't even believe I got to talk to him. That's how much I like him, Jeff.
1: Why could you not believe that you got to talk to him?
2: Well, partially it's because, well, I do really like his podcast.
1: It is a fantastic podcast.
2: It really is. I, it's, I often listen to multiple podcasts that people, our guests are going to be on, but I listened to, I was enjoying listening to multiple podcasts of his podcasts. I like it. so um not to say I don't always enjoy them, but you know what I mean. I was uh anyway, and he interviewed Chris Voss, which of course I'm a big fan of Chris Voss. So anyway, it was great. It was great talking to him today. And I am so, so excited about um the idea of I mean, I guess I'm always excited about the idea of being able to inhabit my buildings without them being having to be built, like in the models. And you can just go in the VR. That'll be so that'll be so much fun.
1: Right. When he was when he was talking about how Mancini Duffy works, he mentioned, I mean, so I guess to give a little bit of background, and of course you can, you can uh, get all of this if you go over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel and, and watch the full video of our conversation. But Mancini Duffy has developed what they call the tool belt and they have their design lab and, and they're thinking very differently. And it's, you know, as our, I guess our title says, um, a tech first, look at innovation and architecture and architecture and construction. And so they're, they're doing uh, some really innovative things, including what you're talking about, right? Basically inviting their clients into their Revit models using VR glasses. Hopefully that's the right term um, through their proprietary tool belt software.
2: I mean, it would be fun just to design things just to go into them without I mean, I think those of us who like to design, I'm never going to be asked to design a cathedral, let's say, but I could build it and rev it and then hang out in there. Yeah. Or, I mean, change things when I'm in there. The whole thing's very exciting. I do design in front of my clients. I've been told repeatedly not to do that because it makes it look, I'm, because I make it look easy, I guess. And so then they don't want to have to pay me for it. But the thing is they really do enjoy being part. It's, I do it with a screen sharing thing um, over Zoom. So but I think they appreciate being able to be in the middle of the room and see what I mean. In my case, it's just their house, so it's not it's not a big theater that anybody's raising up over the over the whatever you know. It's not it's not a big deal, but yeah. But people do people do get excited because it's it seems more understandable than just drawings.
1: It strikes me that and we brought this up in in the conversation with Christian that part of what they're doing at Mancini Duffy is they're pushing the envelope in terms of what I would call project delivery, which is actually the topic for my undergrad pro practice class this morning. It was about project delivery as it turns out, just coincidentally. So, you know, how do we get from the idea from the design into construction? So there's that facet of it, but then there's also the facet of what I'll, I'll call it client experience, And, you know, I think in, in your case, designing in front of your, your clients or with your clients, you know, making it too easy or whatever, I, I think, so as architects, as professionals for the profession, I think we really, really need to think about the client experience. And when Christian is talking about using these tools that they use at Mancini Duffy, one one of the goals being to truncate the amount of time that it takes to get through the process. But another way of, of looking at it is helping the clients understand the design, react to the design, you know, as you said, sort of stand in the room. Um, and then if you take that to your firm, to Demios Architects, you know, what are you doing how are you creating a unique experience for your clients? I think all of that is critically important to clients understanding the value of what you do, you know, the, the speed, the whatever. I don't I don't know, but what you're, again, I, I brought up the, the Maya Angelou quote earlier, and I'll say it again. It's, you know, she's that famous quote where she says, people won't remember what you did, or what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. I, I think we better be focusing on that. And so good on you and good on Mancini Duffy.
2: Yeah, they do, they do really like it. And it's faster for me. And I don't have to go back and forth, like Christian was saying, I don't have to go back and forth for weeks on fairly simple things that we can just decide together, um, looking at the different options in kind of real time. So I don't know. I I that's the way I like to do it. And I think they like it too. But I've you know I get excited about metaverse type things or this virtual uh being in these buildings. So I don't know what it is with me. It could be my video game obsession, my latent video game obsession that that gets me excited. I can do it for work instead.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know when you brought that up and and the, the the metaverse topic with Christian and I was listening to his responses and, and what he was saying. I, I was I was right there with you. It's understanding that the metaverse the metaverses are virtual places that is not where these you know the Mancini Duffy tools are not in one of them or on one of the metaverses however you say that but what he's describing you know and what you were asking about him going there's a really fine line between this and I, I think it's simply that they're not you know they're not in one of the metaverses I think that's about the only difference in a way.
2: Yeah, what if somebody could build a metaverse that the tool to build in it is Revit so that we could just simply take our, we could buy the land, as he was saying, and then you put the thing that you've already built in it.
1: I, I think typically, you know, thinking back to some of the guests we had earlier this year, I think typically the pushback is the amount of com- computing power it would take if everybody, you know, uploaded uploaded multi-gigabyte uh, Revit files to uh, Revit models.
2: Someday we'll be able to do that. And it'll be it's gonna be exciting.
1: Yeah, there's uh, you know Neil deGrasse Tyson.
2: Not personally, I wish I did know him personally because he's a pretty cool, dude.
1: Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, on TikTok. He has for those of you, uh, those of you that are out there uh, that use TikTok, or maybe if you don't, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has awesome TikToks. First of he all. he does, and I saw one the other day where he and I. I don't know who the guy that he's with sometimes. I don't know if they actually, if they have a show, it appears that they must have some sort of show, but they were, they were talking about what if what we call reality is really just an elaborate simulation.
2: Oh yeah. I saw that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they, they talk through the whole scenario, what would have to happen and and all of that. And it's not that far off of, of what you're just saying. Um, And also really, really fascinating and scary all at the same time.
2: Right. Well, if that's the same one that I saw, he was talking initially about how he wanted the other guy to talk him out of believing that we are certainly, almost certainly in a simulation. So then they ended up through all these, either we're reality or we are the latest uh, iteration of reality, not reality, but the simulation. We're the latest simulation because we can't simulate ourselves yet. So then when we can, then, then we'll be like the second to last. So, yeah, it was creepy. And in fact, it's making my hair all stand up right now. But, um, but yeah, so he we said, well, there's like a 50-50 chance then. And that feels a lot better than Almost certain." <laughs> Almost certainly.
1: And the only reason there's a speed of light is because.
2: Oh, yeah, that was good.
1: That's the sort of the limit of the, the uh, computational power. You have to give the programmers time to design the next, your next step, basically.
2: Yeah. You're flying somewhere, then they need to make that whole model it's just when you get off there it is. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, really fascinating.
2: Yeah, amazing. Amazing There's all of this cuz who even in the end in the end I always end up from these conversations thinking like I actually have no idea what's going on.
1: Well, the one thing we have learned is that Mancini Duffy is um, they're the ones that are doing the designing in our simulations. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones behind the curtain, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild the world we live in now.
1: It it is and you know, and I kind of look at what I've learned about Mancini Duffy over the past week or week and a half. Because, you, like you said, you listen to to podcasts. This is basically how we we uh, prepare for these conversations. Listen to podcasts. If somebody has a book, we might listen to the book. Things like that. Not much reading going on around here, apparently. But uh, <laughs> oh,
2: well, we listen to the books. That counts.
1: It does. It absolutely does. But listening to Christian's conversations, not only on the Anti-Architect podcast, which I, I do encourage everybody to go listen to, because one of the things I appreciate, first of all, they're really good conversations. Second of all, there's a ton of variety in the guests and the the topics and everything. So I think it's a little bit refreshing. You know, you get to, oh, well, this one's uh, about hotels and this one's about lifting, lifting a theater. And, you, you know, there's a lot of variety there. But uh also in listening to his conversations, for instance, with Mark Arlepage on the Entree Architect podcast and, and a lot of other podcasts, it's you really get a feel for the passion that he has for architecture and for the profession, but also the passion behind, you know, this idea of disruption, or we have to push the um we have to push the profession forward. And that, that's one of the things I personally really appreciate about Christian is because we are very much aligned on on those topics. So enjoyed getting ready for this one and, and the conversation.
2: The hotel conversation was interesting because it talked about the customer experience that he was revolutionizing. Is that a, a word? Revolutionizing mm-hmm. hmm. the um the whole hotel <laughs> the whole hotel experience. Thinking about what it's like to be. The client going through it, or the customer, the guest, I guess, going through it. So it pops up everywhere once you start thinking about customer experience and think about your own customer experience with different different companies. And anyway, it's just been on my mind a lot recently. What is my client experience? My the, not my client experience, but the experience of my clients. Anyway, it's really important.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think that's to me. I think that's fundamental to the profession. And I think it's very often overlooked you know, a lot of architects look at, well, what's the value of what I do or what architects do if, you know, to generalize and so, Oh, it's these, these buildings that we design or these spaces that we create. And ultimately I don't think that's actually true. I think what's, I think the truth is it's okay. What is that space that you created and how does that make someone feel? And, operate or work or live or you know how does that make their life better or their business better or whatever so there there's the user piece of it but there's also the client service piece of it where you know when we think about the commoditization of the profession that a lot of people will complain about is yeah okay well what's the difference between I don't know going and buying you know p- pick your favorite thing whether it's it's uh, a coffee or a car or or something like that, you know, what what is our attitude towards something where we have a really great experience to get something versus, oh, whatever, I went and got that out of a machine or I got it out of lo- on, online or something like that for basically the same thing. The vast majority of the time, we're willing to pay more for that great experience. We see more value in that great experience. For the same thing that we do, oh, I can get that out of a vending machine or I can get that off of Amazon or, you know, something else. There's lots and lots of examples out there. So I think we better be concentrating, uh, focusing on that.
2: Right. And the more I personally pay for something, the better I want the customer experience to be. The the, the less I care how much it costs, if it was a great experience, and I would definitely do it again. And it was so worth it you know, that sort of thing. So I want my clients to feel that way. Like that was so worth it. Yeah. It was more than this other person, but it was, uh, it was worth it having the, um, the guidance and companion going through the whole thing. So I look at it that way. So I'm trying to look at it that way, I should say, but yeah, I don't know. Just the whole idea of 3d printing things and 3d printing, not just like he was saying, like the, the simple concrete boxes or whatever people might be doing now. Not that they're simple, because I guess the one you saw in Austin wasn't simple. Just there's so much potential there for 3D printing of all sorts of things, body parts, building parts.
1: His attitude about 3D printing, both in our conversation and other conversations that I listened to and other people's podcasts, other conversations that he had on other people's podcasts, I I found that really intriguing because what their their commitment to at Mancini Duffy is, if we're going to 3D print something, it's going to be a a finished piece. It's going to be the last piece. So maybe that is a piece of something, or it is a material that's used, you know, sort of a finished material in the building or something like that. And it's not going to replicate a brick or, you know, something else that's already out there. Um, Because he said, this is something I will, I won't forget. He said, because if we're not doing that, or if it's just a model or if it's, you know, it's a study model or something like that. He said, essentially what you've got is a toy. (laughs) I went, okay.
2: Well, yeah, it is kind of what they are. They're fun to play with right now. But yeah, I, I wonder if buildings will become more ornate, you know, how they were ornate because there were craftsmen who could do that kind of thing. And then... With modernism and everything, part of it is that it's not as expensive because there's not the I remember being in, I can't remember which building it was in Rome, but they had these little putti faces in the um you know, in the trim above the door. And of course you can't get that now because nobody's gonna carve that in stone. Yeah, yeah. I mean you could 3D print something like that. And so maybe maybe frilly filigree type stuff is gonna come back or who knows where that could lead. It's a tool that'll let us do that.
1: Obviously at Mancini Duffy they're into the technology and they're really, really thinking about it. I mean, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed by the way that that they're approaching their practice.
3: The way that the design lab started was I had a random idea that, you know, we, we had bought a 3D printer and we had always talked about research and development and what could we do to get ahead of things. And this was probably 10 years ago. I was at a wedding or some event and they, you know, you go there and they have the collapsible chairs and they're always ugly. And I thought, oh, we could design a better collapsible chair and we should 3D print it. And that was the original idea. And it turns out that was really hard to do. There's a reason why those collapsible chairs are the way they are, but it led us down a road of the 3D printing. And then we started the lab and then it became a weekly meeting and a group of us would get together and we would just spitball ideas. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, And we had a long, long laundry list of stuff that we'd take, you know, once a week, we'd spend an hour in there. And then along the way, the idea of VR came up and how could we really utilize VR. And I was always fascinated by, so I grew up, you know, when I went to architecture school, I did 3d modeling I mean that was I was really good at 3d modeling and it was when it first started you had to reboot your computer into like ms-dos and bring up 3d studio max 1 and you'd have to do these you know this modeling and it was a lot of commands and and stuff and I, there's no way I could even remember how to start that now um, but I was really good at 3d modeling and that eventually evolved as I became a designer and then a senior designer and I had clients and I would do a lot of those renderings myself and I would be you know we'd go to a place I remember a, a client who became a very very close friend she said to me we we're looking at a broadcast space this amazing building that was done and she said to me wow I really didn't expect it to look like this it's it's great but I didn't I didn't expect it to look like this and I thought my god it looks identical to the renderings. Like, it looks identical. What are you talking about? And so what I realized is that the renderings, as great as they are, they don't give that sense of place and that feel, that Maya Angelou quote, right? Um, You you need to be in a space and interact with it and feel it around you. And so that's where we started pushing the idea of virtual reality. And the early virtual reality was just that. It was kind of post-production VR. And our thought So getting back to, you know, how did this all come about in our weekly meetings as we got more and more serious about things, we said, well, maybe there's a process that we could create where we're not wasting time. We're not doing post-production. We're not, you know, creating essentially a virtual reality rendering version, but how can we connect it? And then the other thing is, you know, we we start every project late. And I think every other architect starts every project late right you're asked to do a proposal you do the proposal you hurry up you get that done decisions aren't made, it's supposed to start in November and You know, it's, but instead it starts in January and you're two months behind already on day one, but the end date doesn't move. Right. And you're like, oh God, now, now we're behind. So (laughs) great. Thanks. So this was another way of jumping ahead. If we could eliminate the sort of weekly meeting and the weekly meeting where we're doing one thing and then we're focusing on that and then we're coming back with it revised again the week later, and then we're revising that again another week and another week. If we could collapse weeks of work into one meeting, boy, we could really then take advantage of those weeks and actually do what we're good at and design.
1: I love the idea of disruption, but not disruption for disruption's sake. And I don't see that at all in what in the way that Mancini Duffy as a firm thinks or operates. They're not they're not just out to just mix things up. They're out to say, okay, we've got these tools or maybe develop new tools. You know, how can we do this to make the client experience better, to make the project delivery better, you know, whatever whatever the situation is. And I remember, I think it was in Christian's conversation with Mark on the Entre Architect podcast where he said their goal is in 5 years not to be doing construction documents.
2: Well, that's always a good goal in my opinion.
1: It is. And you know when I first when I heard him say that, my thought was, oh, they're going to start outsourcing. They're going to just focus mm. on design. They're going to start outsourcing the the uh the development of their construction docs to, you know, somebody else or they're going to partner with somebody. Right. But that's not what he was they're talking, talking about. about. Yeah.
2: No, they're just talking about sending out the model and that's that's it. That's the that's the thing. I don't even know what you would call it. That's the thing that gets permitted and is used in the in the field. And people, even in the comments today, were saying, well, that's never going to work because, well, okay. Reasons it wouldn't work is because people can't read Revit. Like people in the building department can't read it. People on the job site can't read it.
1: When I heard him say that on, like I said, I think it was the Entree Archetype podcast. I had not yet heard him talk about I, I already knew that he went to UCLA. I didn't realize that Frank Gehry was teaching at UCLA when he was when Christian went there. So I didn't I didn't realize that Frank Gehry connection. But once I did, I went, that makes total sense because, you know, with the complexity of the Gary designs, they had to develop software that that went directly into production without doing, you know, paper drawings. And so that made total sense to me. That clicked right away. It's like I get it now. I I know exactly why they're they're wanting to make that leap beyond the fact that in my mind it just makes sense. But that pushback, you know, oh, like you said, oh, the AHJ they they can't handle the Revit model or whatever, whatever. We're not in a vacuum. We don't. I mean, we we try. I mean, this profession tries really hard in some ways to operate in a vacuum, but it's not reality. And so to think that, oh, well, we're going to start delivering Revit models, you know, as the deliverable to the city of Indianapolis where I am. No, that's that's not going to work, right? Unless there's a change at the city of Indianapolis, delivering a Revit model directly to a contractor. No, that's not going to work if it's a contractor that works off the the hood of their pickup truck and you know, they're they're banging two by fours together. No, it's gonna take the right contractors and the right projects, you know, obviously, but I mean, how far are we really away from somebody developing a software that plugs into your Revit model or you export your Revit model in some file format and it does the code check and it and it does all of the things that it has to do, which will eliminate human reviewers of at least a certain portion of that um, of, of that process? And why would the cities not latch on to that?
2: It seems so simple. And that would be so simple to do. Are all hallways three feet wide? Or is this like a type whatever building? Does it have this many egress for this? Month? You know, it'd be easy to do.
1: Oh, no, we, you, you and I don't know how to do it. But I've got a group of students right now that I would guarantee they could figure that out in the next week. I mean, to me, it 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 has to be about that simple. And, and so, will will some, you know, before somebody goes, oh yeah, well, this 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 rural county where I I work, they're never going to do that. Well, yeah, probably not. Right? Again, it's not one size fits all, but
2: well, New York City, they might.
1: Sure, New York, Indianapolis, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Houston. It it's coming. <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs>
2: And I do think that probably ordering buildings off of Amazon is also coming.
1: Yeah. Christian mentioned that, and I'm sure that sent chills down people's spine, but he also- But
2: why? It doesn't bother me at all. You can buy junk off of Amazon. You know, you can, it doesn't, I don't know why I don't feel threatened by it. It's, it's either the people, I can't, first of all, design every single building in the in the country. So why do I care if the people who aren't going to hire me in the first place buy it off of Amazon? That's okay. Go ahead.
1: I think that's exactly the way to think about it. They weren't going to hire you anyway.
2: Mm -mm, No way.
1: Yeah. Christian Christian said you can already order Butler buildings. One of my clients is a uh, contractor. One of their key uh, niches is working with pre-engineered metal buildings. And so one question could be, well, do those require an architect? Sometimes, sometimes not, right? In the case where it doesn't require an architect, do we care, right? You weren't going to get hired anyway. To do that work, it was you know you pick package one two three left and that's what you order and you hire a contractor and they construct it right off of off of the instructions like IKEA. I bet they're not like IKEA.
2: Yeah, but that in itself is pretty. I don't know. I think that's kind of exciting too for what it, people who need that kind of thing.
1: IKEA was already toying with a uh, basically a flat pack house. You know what? What are you going to do then? And so, why not? why not focus on the clients that do value what you do that do value the experience that you provide that do value the result that comes out of that space those spaces that you have created for them and deliver the best service and experience possible to them and if you know what if there's somebody that needs a a building that does not require an architect in your area and they can order it off of Amazon and hire a contractor. It's going to happen anyway.
2: Yep, it's going to happen anyway. But that's kind of the opposite of what Christian was talking about, of course. I just can't get over the idea of of being able to inhabit the building, even with a contractor. Can you imagine if you uh, bring this bar, a project and you can then go in there with a the contractor and say, well, what would be an easier way for you to build this or this? Or do you? what do you think about this detail and how can we do that? And so... Collaborating with the builder would be so much better with both of us in the building ahead of time, in this ghost of the building or a projection of the building. I don't know. I just think it would change, It'd be a game changer.
1: I think so. You, you know, and you were, you asked a question and it was exactly the question I was going to ask is, does it take a special skill set? And my version of it was going to be, does it take a, a skill set or a mindset?
3: It's very similar. If you set the mindset of it's like doing it with trace in front of a client, it's very freeing. Initially, I could tell you the very first session we did like this, I know for a fact, because the designer and I always talk about it, it was very nerve wracking. I mean, we weren't sure, A, if the technology was going to work or B, you know, how they were going to react to it. And but now what's happened is it's become our process. It is what we do. So every designer, and it's actually great for designers, junior designers, you know, right out of school, you're in the lab, you're with the client, and you're, you're moving things around, you're designing with them in that space. And again, you're not, you're not taking direction necessarily from them, you're experimenting, you're sketching, you're sketching in Revit, you're sketching in 3D, you're sketching in this VR environment. And nothing's perfect when you leave there, but it's pretty close, right? And oh the bathrooms are over there, the, you know, whatever the, the, the lobby's on that side of the building. And now, and we all are, we all agree, yes, this feels right. This is, this works. Now we're going to actually sit back, we're going to go back to our desk, and we're going to hunker down, and we're get, going to get into all those details. So people get comfortable with it over time. You don't need any special skill set, and that was by design. You just work in Revit like you would work any other day if you were sitting at home, sitting at your desk. The client just happens to be there.
1: Sure, it takes a skill set because you've got to be able to work in Revit and you know do these things, but it also you know, it, it takes the mindset of this is, this is a whole lot like working on trace paper, you know, where the the client is here, we're in Revit. They've got glasses on, we're making these changes and it's, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's this design process. Um, And I think, I think if we adopt that mindset, probably about the way that we work, but also the way that we interact with clients. And like you said, I think that's super important we're talking about that in class this week with with my students they don't they don't understand well why wouldn't you do that with a contractor because you could, it's exactly what you were saying. You could look at these different details and and you know make adjustments or figure things out or you know these these types of things and so i you know I think in terms of pushing the profession forward like Christian talks about they're workable ideas in my mind,
2: yeah, and I'm kind of inspired to change the way. I'm just thinking why can't I do the same thing that I do with my clients have a Zoom meeting which I do sometimes with contractors and talk about different details and how are we going to do this and that and they think it's helpful for even for them to see it in 3D so they understand what I'm talking about a little bit better like much more quickly.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it's you know we we have to develop good working relationships and good partnerships and I you know I think in those terms If we think about what Christian is talking about, and we think about the way that Mancini Duffy is working, if if we don't have good relationships, if we have combative relationships with contractors, with other partners in the process, this isn't going to fix it, right? I mean, it's what they're doing. It requires good work with good people, with good relationships, and all of that. So you know, if your problem is, oh, I don't. You know, I don't know why the contractor doesn't like this, or I don't know why the contractor won't accept this or do what I, maybe do a little bit of introspection. It may not be the tools. It might be you. It might be. I have been incredibly inspired by this conversation with Christian. I don't quote unquote do architecture anymore. uh, So it doesn't apply a hundred percent to what I actually do do. But uh, I find it incredibly inspiring and um, gives me a lot of hope for the direction of the profession if, you know, a lot more firms besides Mancini Duffy start to think in this way. And I know they're not the only one, but uh, I do think that they're a shining example. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. All right, well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J E F F underscore E C H O L S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the context and clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also now you can follow us on Instagram as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host context and clarity live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here backstage again to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of context and clarity with Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels. I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G A B L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be.